Why don't you throw the key out of the window, Henry? Oh, that's an idea, isn't it? It's <laughs> a clever idea. Yes, clever how one. did you ever think of such a clever idea? <laughs> what idea, Henry? <laughs> that, that the idea that what... What, what was the idea? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. No. But you said you had one, Min. Had one what? <laughs> what? What I'm asking you. What are you asking me about? You stupid what? old... What? I was asking you. Don't you start shouting at me again. I'm... Min, once round the room does me good, you know. This week it's extra length as as i speak to chris diamond esteemed elder statesman of tv cream one of the first and best television nostalgia websites which has spun off into books uh, magazines as well and also a wide range of podcasts including cream guide commentaries what we just watched and tv cream stays indoors now chris and i spoke for such a vast amount of time um, and covered so much ground that it was difficult to cut it down to the usual length. So as I say, this week, it's longer than usual. Stop that. Um, anyway, we talked, or rather Chris talked and I listened, um, all about the goons, Spike, uh, comedy in general, and it was a blast. So I hope you enjoy it. I think you said to me when we when we first got in contact, you mentioned that you, you came to the goons through the sort of the real A material um, in the form of um, <laughs> Down Among the Z-Men. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I can't actually, I really racked my brains uh, having listened to the, some of the previous people talking about it. And I genuinely can't think of a time when I didn't know about the goons. Not necessarily what they were, but that I'd heard of them and I knew they existed somehow. Mm. Uh, but I hadn't heard a goon show, really. I did, you know, you used to get clips on that oh, a terrible Adrian Just <laughs> yeah. radio pro program. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it'd be clips of like Hancock, sometimes it'd be clips of uh, things that are the goons with him talking and out of them. In retrospect, it was pretty grim, but, but we liked it because you got to hear these old clips. Yes. And I think I must have been aware of it from them. But I think, actually, the horror is, I think Down Among the Z-Men was the first goon product that I was aware was the goons. And it was uh, very early 80s in the summer holidays, you know, in the morning. Yeah. Uh -huh. And they would put stuff on. Funny now to think of kids, could you imagine that now, kids watching like Harold Lloyd and... 
and and <laughs> and down among the <laughs> and down among the Zed men is pretty is pretty bad, and it's billed as a good thing, but. When I actually came to listen to Goon Shows, it didn't really bear very much of a resemblance. You know, you've got like uh, uh, Spike Milligan is basically Eccles. Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't really think Sellers is playing Bloodnock particularly. So it was sort of version of Bloodnock. Yeah. Although he is in that sort of pre early days, pre-fame. He's pretty hefty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, bef- it's before he learned how to act on camera. Really. Yeah, well, yeah, but he's also he, he did he hadn't seen himself, I think, very much on camera. So he's he's to be to be blunt, he's quite fat. Yeah, and he looks older than he is. Yeah, and he certainly even looks older then than he did in the seventies. You know, when he was super thin and yeah, and, fey. Mm. Uh, and and Seacom's doing this thing, and it's incredible that he's meant to be the, the love interest. And <laughs> Benteen is just being Michael Benteen. Uh, well, Benteen's in a different film from the other three. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, he's in the funny film. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> I think Benteen, Benteen's uh, performance is actually is a comedy performance. You know, he's, I mean, it's, it's really broad and silly, but he's playing Professor Rosie and <laughs> And, and sort of bandy-legged walk, walking about and doing things. But mm. at least he's trying to be funny. True. <laughs> I, I True. told him what the rest of them are doing. Uh, when they do the talent show at the end and Sellers is doing this sort of GI talking to the general, it's, it's chronically unfunny. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, Milligan says in one of his uh, many multi-volumed uh, war memoirs, I think it's by the time they get to Italy, and he's been wounded, and he's uh, doing shows. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he says, you know, and he'll just, or, or before, even before that, when he's in, in action, and somebody comes and does a show, and he'll just say, you know, some idiot came on and just played the trumpet and saluted. We gave him a an arousing ovation <laughs> because they were just so starved of entertainment <laughs> that somebody balancing a ping pong ball, you know, got a reception like you know. <laughs> jiggly or something yeah and i get the feeling that the the material that they were doing you know live material like sellers or whatever had probably been in army shows and got like massive ovations <laughs> and yeah. one of the things that of course that is i know this is terrible good show good heresy yeah but of course the, the credited writer on down among the Z- gentleman is jimmy grafton mm. And all the Grafton Arms and Major Jimmy Grafton, who's you know is the f- sort of fount spring of the yeah, yeah. Of, of the goons, but it's it's bad, you know, it's not a script. It's uh, it doesn't have a structure. It, it doesn't build to anything. It's terrible. But but I still really enjoyed seeing them all together in a film. Uh, and, and when I say it didn't seem like anything like particularly to the goons, it's because I didn't really know what the goons were apart from any of those. But when I did know them, you know, uh, Andrew Timothy wasn't the announcer. And of course, Andrew Timothy's in Down Among the Zed Men. He is, yeah. And even the last goon show of all, Andrew Timothy's there. And I was like, well, all right, but he's no Wallace Greenslade. Of course, Benteen's in it, and Benteen wasn't in it when I came to 
yeah. understand it. You know, so it's a bit detached in that way. So although to the what tends all this preface is, it was the first thing billed as being the goons, because it says starring the goons. I think yes. they all see who they are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm Professor Ozzy Pureheart. You're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but it, was, it wasn't something that made me think, oh, now I know what the goons is. I still kind of was a bit wanting to know what they were. And uh, they weren't, it wasn't really on the radio that I remember. And, you know, I would hear little bits of it here and there. And I would see people talking about the goons, even if it was Milligan or whatever, if you could get them to talk about them. It was only when I finally got given for a birthday, you might remember, you might not, the, the BBC released a series of double tapes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got given one for, I think it must have been my 13th birthday, which by, by which time I had also read a couple of volumes of Milligan's War Memoirs. And I, I love, you know, I think it was quite late. I think it was like, where have all the bullets gone and goodbye soldier, you know? Yeah. So not actually the funniest ones, but, you know, and yeah. enjoyed them. So I got, anyway, I got given the double tape. So the first proper actual goon show that I listened to was on one side of one of the tapes, which was Napoleon's Piano. Okay. And I, I loved it. And then I listened to uh, the dreaded batter pudding hurler of Bexel on Sea, which I think was one of the other ones. And then that, that was me hooked. And I just thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever heard in my life. And I became as obsessed with it as, you know, as only a 13-year-old virgin can be obsessed with something. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, and, and my entire life was then devoted to getting enough money to buy another double tape. But they were quite expensive. They were, I think they were a tenner. Mm. I think they were 10 or 12 quid. And that's when ten pounds could buy you a lot, folks. Uh, oh yeah, but do you remember you, back then? Because if you wanted to pick up a a film on VHS, a pre-recorded mm. film like The Pink Panther or mm. Ishtar or mm. whatever it might be, it's <laughs> oh, going to sit you. It's going to sit you back a good 12, 14 quid. Oh yeah, back then, absolutely. And and uh, and and that was, by the way, we were not hard up. We were not a family that was poor. But mm. not much of that was trickled down to me. <laughs> I wasn't. We weren't. We weren't kids that got like pocket money or anything. Uh, so I only ever had money if like uh, it was a birthday or Christmas or something. But the point, as you may, as you say, is if you had a tenner, I was all. I mean, you could do a lot with a tenner when you were like thirteen or fourteen. Mm. A lot. Mm. Uh, so. It's a it's a testament to how much I wanted these tapes. That that's what I spent it on. And there was a in Princess Square in, in, in Glasgow, there used to be when it was just before it was just like swanky clothes shops. There was a I think it was a Waterstones. It was over two floors. It was yeah. a great shop. And on the stairway between the two inside the shop was a rack of BBC tapes. And I remember I used to if I had my tenner or whatever, I'm sure it was ten. It might even have been ten ninety nine. Weird price. I would stand and look at them and go, oh, no, <laughs> I don't know what one to get. Because you were also, again, pre-internet kids. You had absolutely no idea which what they were. You knew they were good shows, but 
you didn't know if were the good ones, were the bad ones, well, you know, not bad ones, but were the famous ones, were the ones you made. Yeah. You know, and one and this one better than that one. You had no idea. There was nowhere to get, there was nowhere to reference. Except I used to try and find in the in the like the a humor section <laughs> and try and find a reference to them somewhere. But there was never a table that said the Scarlet Capsule is not as good as the history of Plenty of the Hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, uh, you, um, did you ever, because I just, just remember now, mm. when, I, when I first came over, when I was 15, I came over from, with my dad to, to, to the UK and visited uh-huh. London and visited Belfast. And it was a complete eye-opener for me. Um, mm. But I remember going, to, I'm sure it was, e- well, it was either London or Belfast, and I'm sure it was mm. Belfast, that there was a BBC shop Mm. Do you remember those? Um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't one in Glasgow. Okay, well, uh, sure, the only time I've ever seen a BBC shop was uh, in London. It might have been London then, but uh, yeah, I had it in my head. It was Belfast. Buff, buff. Anyway, but but what? Well, oh, there really... may have been. I'm not. I'm not saying that there may well have been. And for all I know, there may one. There may have been one maybe up at Broadcasting House in Glasgow. I don't mm. think so though. Well, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have access to that sort of motherload. No, but what happened was, I, went, I remember discovering this shop, walking in it, and it was like in Aladdin's cave, and it was like, mm. it was like, a, a, you know, outside it had been black and white monochrome, and I walked in, and suddenly it was Technicolor. <laughs> and, the cave of, the cave of yeah, wonders. Yeah, and, and, and I remember seeing just so much goon stuff, like um, tapes. tapes of On the Up. On the <laughs> just the one. It's amazing. <laughs> um there was um but but what, what i remember picking up that day was the um goon show companion by roger wilmot oh yeah and even now it's indispensable um yeah did you get hold of that early on or no no i i, I honestly i i had i had that whatever money i had i spent on the tapes is the goon show companion the one that uh, sellers does voices from no, no that's that- the scripts that's a script. That's a script. That's a book of the goons yeah. and book of the goons. Yeah, no, scripts. I didn't have. I, I'm sorry, sorry to say that uh, you know, marks me. I'm sure is not a proper fan. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have any of that stuff. I just had the tapes, and I, in, in the same way that uh, I like to lord it over, because I'm a big Tolkien fan as well, and I like to consider myself superior to people who learn Elvish mm. by saying, I'm just interested in the book, some sort. Uh, and I kind of was just only focused on the shows. To the extent, however, which is, which is far worse than having tracked down books, I used to make compilation tapes <laughs> of all the Max Geldry musical instruments. <laughs> really? Yeah, and the Ray Ellington ones. And I used to, you know, like other people were making like, I made mixtapes, you know, like people would make mixtapes, uh, which I think people now th- was, it was invented for Gardens of the Galaxy. You know, when we, everybody yeah, used of course, to make yeah, mixtapes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to make Ray Ellington mixtapes <laughs> and listen to them in my, my generic head, you know, Walkman. <laughs> uh, I got very, I got a bit fed up with the Max Geldry one eventually. But as much as I actually do like Max Geldry, I've never understand people who say, oh, we we'll get rid of Max Geldry one. Because I, I liked it and it fitted the show and I thought it was always very jolly. And I always liked it when Max Geldry popped up with his weird high voice. Yeah. Although it's big, you know. Uh, but I very, I very much like reality. I love the reality quartet. I still do. Yeah. Although him popping up 
is now, of course, <laughs> slightly problematic. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? mm. <laughs> even even to the extent, even some jokes, which I think are pretty innocent, like I, I'd been listening to the Great Tuscan Salami scandal before we we did this. Great show, and of course, mm. and it's the musicians' union strike. Yeah, I'm sorry, Mr. Seagun. I am a member of the announcers' union, and we've been instructed by Mr. John Snag. I tell you, I won't have any black legs in the show. Then Ray Ellington hasn't a leg to stand on. <laughs> stop it! Stop it! I say, stop it! No, I, I don't think. I personally don't think that's a problem because he's got black legs. <laughs> I don't think that's drawing any undue attention to it. And it's a joke about, you know, people now maybe not remember black yes. with people who broke strikes. Yeah. But some of them is like, you know, blood knock, you coward, but you know, and all that. Mm. I think is probably pushing that a bit. At the same time, I also, I'll tell you what I always thought was like, you know, little things that would happen and you would think, oh, that's so great. Little things you would listen out for. And there were very occasionally, Max Geldry would be doing one of his numbers, if you can call them that. Yeah, and you could hear bongos being played. Yeah, and I thought, oh, that's really to play the bongos, mm. and it was just like, oh, this is like a nexus point, you know, of all this great <laughs> stuff. Uh, and I just used to love things like that, you know, and and you become very, uh, you become a dick about it, of course, when you obsess well, over things because you think, well, no, nobody else will get that. There's like a million other people who think you know that, a, but you think you know. Yeah, there's a bunch of series six, series seven shows <clears throat> where. Yeah, the, the, you know, closing credits. It's, it's just like um, freeform, really. It's just them kind of. Yeah, just... I used to, I used to get really angry, you know, uh, at the tapes. Uh, you're standing, shaking my fist at the tapes, <laughs> like faulty. <laughs> um, and it's only because of the duration of, of of the recording, obviously. But you know, when the show would finish and they say good night, da da, yeah, and then that sort of, as you say, that sort of freeform jazz would kick in yeah. with Max Geldry playing that, you know, do, 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 crazy do, rhythm, yeah. Do, yeah, mm. and then you would hear that's probably Sellers somewhere in the background. That's that's Ray Ellington on the bongos. Milligan's probably picked up a trumpet. Well, you're like, and, and you it hear, would fade out. Yeah, but you can also sometimes you can hear the audience um, howling with laughter, and you think, what are they doing? Yeah, what are they doing? Yeah, but, and but the but the music would then fade out. It's like, yeah, oh, just let's hear it, man. Mm. Maybe, and maybe it didn't exist. Maybe it doesn't exist on the masters. Who knows? The point is somewhere. That was my connection with the Good Show was was those tapes, and that was all there was for a few years, you know. But I, I, I even beyond that, before that, I'd seen Down Among the Zed Men, but also before that, I'd also seen obviously Sellers films. Mm. Uh, but I'd also seen there's a lot of it about uh, in about eighty six or eighty seven, wow. yeah, on BBC Two on a Sunday night, yeah, which really blew my mind. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I, did, I also had never heard of Q. Okay. And then, as you said earlier about, you know, the cost of tapes, I had some money in my hot mitt <laughs> and went into the uh, Virgin Mega Store, as was in Union Street in Glasgow, and they had a big video section up on the second second floor, I think. And they had a good comedy section. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was looking to see what to buy. And, you know, will I buy a tape of Up Pompeii? So tempted. Mm. 
And then I saw the tape of Q. Oh, yes. Which yeah. is Ghost has got the yellow cover. Yellow cover. With the Q, mm. with him as Batman. Mm. <laughs> For no reason. No adequately explained reason. Because there's not even a Batman sketch on the tape. No, there isn't. <laughs> Leaning through, and it says Spike Milligan, the best of Q. And I thought, well, I know Spike Milligan. I've never heard of Q. I bought it. I brought it home. And that that was, whoa, that was a viewing experience. Yeah. I, I genuinely, I'd been a sort of, I had slutted with Monty Python, but I never understood Python terribly much. I couldn't really understand what anybody was laughing at a lot of the time. And I like the silly names and bad voices, but I've always preferred Python films. I still do prefer Oh, yeah, Python me too, films. me too, yeah. But, uh, but Q was like, geez, what is going on? <laughs> I, like, think, I can't um, believe this was on the telly. I think now thinking about it, because I had that, I bought that VHS, that video. And yeah. um, I think I picked that up again from the BBC shop. Unless oh, I'm, I bought it, I just, nice. I, 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 I um, put, <laughs> put their kids through college, I think, the day I went, <laughs> went in that shop. Um, but no, I, that video was on heavy rotation. I, uh, I took that, no, so I was probably by that time in about fourth year, maybe. Yeah. So I'd, I'd be about, uh, God, I can't remember. It's been so long ago. About eighty nine, yeah, something like that. I I so couldn't believe it that I I said to friends of mine at school, my little clique at school, and my friend David Miller said, "Oh, could I borrow that?" Because we all love Spike Milligan. And I was like, "Oh, do I really want you to do this?" And mm. I said, "Right, you can have it for one night." I don't know how I was going to enforce that. But since you have it for one night, so I was like, oh, great. And he took it away. I would promised to brought it back the next day. But the, the, that family, actually, my friends, David, no, the, the, I ended up, when I was a student, I ended up living with them. Yeah. And as a, as a real tangent, uh, they had a lot of connections with the theatre. And Ken... Who lived in the house was a theatre actor, man, theatre man, uh, stage manager. Yeah, but there had also been a lot of theatre productions, and they had a poster, an actual original poster for Son of Oblomov. <gasps> wow! In a really? in a if and you would only understand this if you knew the Millers. And, and honestly, one day I will genuinely. I'm not being facetious. One day I will write about about my time in the Millers. It'll be called my time in the Millers. <laughs> But you would only understand it in a way, if because there's no way to explain otherwise, why they had a grey metal filing cabinet in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but they did. <laughs> and in this filing cabinet, alongside the most extraordinary films, things like Dinners, 86 to 87, uh, were some theatre posters. One was one was for Oblomov. Another one was an original poster for the Great Northern Willie Boot Show. What? Uh, yeah, well, the, you don't know the Great Northern Wellaboot Show? No. It was a it was a theatre, it was a review originally put on in Edinburgh by the great Ken Campbell of, of Blessed Memory. <gasps> yes, right. Okay. And it was the it was it it featured various stars of theatrical review. They weren't stars. Hmm. Uh, but they were named Sylvester McCoy. Yep. Mm-hmm. The great Brandy DeFrank, who was a stripper. He was like the queen of strippers. Right. From a time when being a stripper was not something anybody was ashamed of or worried about. Yeah. Because she was a very professional, very, very, very well-loved uh, performer. 
and a young unknown <laughs> by the name of Billy Connolly. Ah, okay. Uh, and Ken Campbell put all that put this all on, and and the the great Northern Northern Willowbrook show is one of those sort of uh, forgotten nexus points of British comedy history. Ken Campbell was an incredible man. Uh, he died so so, so too, uh, far 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 too early, mm. and uh, he hated, you know, big expensive swanky productions. He just wanted people to be involved in, in, in what he was doing. And he's a bit like uh, Roger Corman. It's like the theat- British theatrical equivalent of Roger Corman. Everybody worked with Ken Campbell at some point. Yeah, yeah. I you see know, he started yeah. off so many people. And uh, and he made some great telly. He he was almost uh, the doctor. He was almost the doctor. He was, uh, he was very, very close to becoming a, uh, the doctor in the 70s. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, yeah. And he made a great children's ITV series in the late 80s which I don't think anybody would be remembers, right. called Erasmus Microman. No. It, it was a sort of attempt, a successful attempt, I should say, not an attempt, a, a success, a, a sort of a accessible children's sort of history, education, hmm. techie kind of thing. You know, like uh, Eureka, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he played this little character called Erasmus Microman who lived in the telly. And kids would go in and have adventures with him. And the only, I don't remember very much from him. It was great. And I don't remember very much of it except one, I don't know why I remember this. There was one episode where he was inviting the kids uh, who knew about him to meet Galileo. Hmm. And, and he did it with this little song. I've got a great idea. Why don't you come in here? We'll meet Galileo, Galilee, Galileo. <laughs> and of course, away they went, they had a great time. <laughs> anyway, that's back to, well, <laughs> back well, to the plot. I'm sure that everyone, anyone listening to this will know who Ken Campbell is, but just in <laughs> case, he's probably best known to casual viewers as um, was it Ronnie from Faulty Towers. And uh, <laughs> yes, um, yes. and as as Alf Garnett's neighbour, <laughs> yeah, um, Mister Johnson. Now, I have to tell you, right? Yeah, and I mean no bones about this. Yeah, uh, I think a sickness and a health is one of the great lost sitcoms. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's of course it's not something that's ever going to be shown now, because. Uh, there are attitudes expressed. I always try to remember the wording in the start of Disney films now, when they say things like, uh, see if you have Disney Plus, say, mm. and you put on a film, I could be any film. I mean, because they do it for all of them. Uh, really wrong, I'm not commenting on it, I'm just saying they do. So like, uh, I put on Aladdin the other night. Can I like Aladdin? Mm. I'll have a little sing-along to myself. And the little screen comes up and it says, this film contains depictions of a culturally insensitive nature or something like that. They weren't right then, and they are not right now. But if you want to find out why they're not right or something like that, have a look at this link. So I think it's really disingenuous, because it's like, what it's saying is, there's some stuff in here that's problematic. But it's going to be on in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't done anything about it. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll have your pen in a month, and it's going to be along in a wee second. But just let you know that yeah. some of it's a bit iffy. 
I couldn't quite understand what the problem was at the outset with Aladdin. But then I realised that I think it's just basically the depiction of Middle Eastern people. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I thought, does anybody think this is meant to be a realistic depiction of anybody? It's got a blue genie in it. Mm. Anyway, these are not arguments for me to make or, or uh, defend or project. However, you would certainly have to put it in front of sickness and health <laughs> uh, for various different reasons. My argument, however, is that it's to a purpose. Uh, you know, till death is due part, I think it's actually more problematic because uh, Alf Garnett's use of racial epithets was not problematic at the time. Lots of people said it, yeah, you know, and did yeah. it and, and were unashamed of it. And nobody would have shamed them for it. So I, I, I'm always a bit uneasy with uh, the use of that sort of racist language in Till Death is Depart. But and in Sickness and in Health, it's by this time deeply anachronistic. So it marks Alf Garner out as for what he is, which is uh, an anachronistic racist bigot, because other people around him don't talk or behave like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, I think it's weirdly more acceptable, because there's no pretense that he's right. Until death is due part in the 60s and then the 70s, especially the 60s, I always feel there's an attitude that nobody's really questioning him for using the language. It's just his opinions are wrong. And I don't think, I, um, I don't think in, and I, I admittedly, I've not seen Till Death is due part for many, many years. And, yeah. And, but the, the, the main arguments he would have with Tony Booth would be yeah. about politics, but Tony Booth would quite happily chime in with the old racial oh. epithets himself. Yeah, he did do. But I mean, he, he you know, Stubbs, is, uh, Rita would pull him up for it. Mm. Uh, but uh, yeah, you're right. There, there's, there's the, the bar is very low, mm. let me put it like that. Mm. But in, in sickness and in health, the bar is actually very high. Alf uses racist words. Arthur, Arthur English, another great performance that's lost mm. to, to people, occasionally also uses it, but will argue with Alf uh, at times. Mm -hmm. But there's no question that it's because they're old and out of touch and that it's not acceptable widely. Now, if you can, so therefore, if you, my, my real point is, if you can get past that, it becomes a really interesting and actually, I think, quite important comedy about being old in the 80s, mm -hmm. sure. about poverty and the attitudes of the state towards the old and neglect and all sorts of things. Uh, that It's just a shame that it's, it's so easy to set aside. I, I don't blame anybody for setting that aside, you know, because obviously, and, and it's interesting, isn't it, that I won't use the words. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you self-censor quite rightly but you know he, you know he'll he'll i'm a gay man i have no problem with with uh, winston being called my gold <laughs> uh, because every now and again he'll snap back and there is no suggestion that he is being oppressed by alpha at any point he just considers Alf as a stupid old well, man. Half the time he's he's got the upper hand. Most of the time he's got the upper hand. With Winston, but he also they also make really important points about you know because he comes to live in his spare room, 
after Elsa's died. Yeah. About how difficult it is for him to get somewhere to live. At how at one point he stopped outside the house on his way to work because he's a black man coming out of a house with a bag. About Mr. Jo- and this is back to Mr. Ken Campbell, because Ken Campbell's the really interesting character because he's so awful because he'll continue to say he doesn't have any problem with black people, but he just, you know, but it does lower the value of your house. Mm. <laughs> God. So he's actually far worse yeah. because he pretends not to be racist. Yeah. But he's so unspeakably awful, Ken Campbell, as Mr. Johnson, in a, in, in, a, in a role that is 180 degrees from what Ken Campbell was and clearly did not care if anybody assigned those attributes to him because it was a performance mm-hmm. and he was comf- comfortable in himself. He didn't have to pretend. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Ken Campbell's fantastic in that role. He really is. There is an episode with Spike. Actually, do you remember? There that? is, yeah, there is an episode. It's the one where they go to the tea dance. That's uh, right. And he's, is he Flash, and, uh, Flash Fred or something? He's called. Or something. Yeah, it's Flash Harry or something. And they, and, and they have a sort of stupid, you know, fisticuffs and the and the that comes to nothing because the joke is that it's then the partners, the women that start fighting each other, mm. and then he parks his van, his lo- big loading van outside <laughs> Al's house. And it takes all the light away and he says, I'm going to go tell him. And Spike comes out and he's doing his uh, his worker's voice, like, oh, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not going to move until you get to piss off. You know. <laughs> yeah, you leave those cars alone. Or... It's you. It's you. I thought it was some idiot like you. Don't you touch me. Don't you lay hands on me. Oh, need another scene to you, do we? Right. Right, I've been waiting for you, mate. Come on in, come on. There's no one to stop us now. Right, come on in. Ah, come, on. come on, come on. I'm ready, I'm ready. I'm, yes. I'm ready. Oh, yeah. I've done a oh. bit, mate. Uh, I can handle myself. I'm a black belt. Black belt? Yeah, I don't uh, care if you've got yellow braces, uh, mate. Uh, I've had them twice your size. Don't just stand there grieving. Uh, stop uh, it. Stop it. what? It's not funny. Yeah. Two grown men fighting. Yes, yes, yes. It's not nice. Right, right. Don't sorry. Come on, tiger. No, 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 don't don't spoil it. Kill him. Don't spoil it. Yeah, you see, let them fight. If there's bad blood, there's only one way to end bad blood. You've got to get it spilled. The thing with Spike Milligan, I think, it's something I've thought about, been thinking about for a while. So I'm going to unload it on you. Go on, then. You know, so you only have so many goon shows to listen to that are available on tape, so you look elsewhere for your goon favourites. Sellers films, if you're lucky, you'll get the earlier ones. You know, Pink Panther films were on quite a lot. And they were always a treat. I'm not mm. going to pretend they weren't. Love Pink Panther films. Mm. Not the trail of the Pink Panther, because not in that. But, you know, Return, Revenge, you know, whatever. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, people are very sniffy of them, but I, 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 Boxing Day Night. For well, I, a, I, bo- I bought a picture box of milk tray, a bottle of ginger, and a Pink Panther film. Nah, nah, look, oh. I, I, I always maintain two of the best Peter Sellers films. One is Shot in the Dark, and one is um, mm. Return of the Pink Panther. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you know what they say, you know, you get these people that say, comedy is setting up what you're going to do. Eric Sykes used to just say this. Setting up what you're going to do signposting it for the audience 
Are they doing something a bit different? Mm. Mm. <laughs> it transpires <laughs> that it's actually let the audience know you're going to drive a Citroen three-wheel van into a pool and then doing it three times. <laughs> you know, when he pulls the he pulls the brake out and, he looks <laughs> and then when he it's, it's when one goes in as they're pulling the one out, yes. you know, one's getting pulled yeah. <laughs> But there are other ones, you know, uh, I used to watch in a terrible, like an obsessive way, the uh, Must Be Revenge with the big laser. Uh, it's that strikes, strikes again. Strikes back, strikes again. God, I'm terrible with the titles. Mm. Uh, I used to watch that so often because there are bits in it that are just so funny. Uh, and also a great thing uh, that I've always, I've always really loved and admired when he goes to the club. I think it's called the Ace, the Jack of Hearts, yeah, the Ace of Hearts, yeah. which is the gay club. Uh-huh. And uh, and he says, "I'm, you know, I'm looking for whatever, is, whatever Michael Robbins' character is." <laughs> this is a, I don't know. You'd be quiet. The show, the show is just about to start. Of course, the spotlight goes on Michael Robbins in his full drag, mm. and he's the show. And the song is sung by an uncredited Julie Andrews. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah, until you love me, until you love me. That's Julie Andrews. Uh, and then he finishes it, and he says, uh, "This, you know, the people are here to." There are people here to get him, and he starts dancing with sailors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's so funny. And, but what I love is when they say, uh, you know, they came and they killed him, the butler. Yeah. But he managed to lay out like seven of them, you know, yeah. before he did, making yeah. the very, the very interesting, subtle point that for the time that men in drag are not pushovers yeah. <laughs> just because they're in a dress. So there's little things like that. I, I really appreciate, but well, I love Dan, Danny LaRue films. would always end every routine. What's but... your mind? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, Danny LaRue's not a small man. No. He was a six foot Irish laddie, you know, from the back streets of uh, Tipperary, I think. John mm. Cork, one of that. You know, he wasn't, mm. he wasn't a, a city boy. He's a big lad. Uh, anyway, so I would watch the, uh, watch those films. But I would look for Smelligan in anything, anything I could see. Talk show appearances, for example, which yeah. would appear sometimes on, uh, like Des O'Connor, say, uh, or Wogan. They appeared on Wogan. Wogan, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, but <laughs> so uh, the ones when they appeared on Wogan, I thought it could be a wee bit, you know, that sort of. He'd start talking about the war and getting all a bit, you know, reflective and things like that. Uh, he once played he played the piano, one of his own compositions on Wogan. And it was a bit awkward because I think the audience thought it was going to be funny. Mm, so there was yeah. sort of some tittering and things. And I thought, oh, this is a bit awkward. Mm. However, he once appeared on <laughs> the Des O'Connor Tonight show. You may recall what a massive show Des O'Connor Tonight was. Wasn't every other show um, featuring Freddie Starr, though? Or am I- no, no, it's not, not so much. I think it was just all the compilations. Maybe one a series. Yeah. Because it was a big set piece thing, but you know he had all the biggest stars on, big, you yeah, know, yeah. big international stars. Now that was a great show that did a connotation. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so I would scour the paper. You know, oh look, Spike Milligan's on tonight. 
I'll watch that. And uh, this was at the height, you may, you may recall, of the devil dog panic. Uh, you know, where there was like uh, Rottweilers and oh, right. pit bulls. Okay. And they yeah, were, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a ludicrous piece of legislation uh, passed, you know, that... Uh, that had to be withdrawn and things like that. It was a real, it was mm. a real panic. It was a real public panic mm -hmm. thing. So Milligan's appeared <laughs> and he gets, he gets, I can't quite remember if he gets carried in on or if he carried it in. He was in his, he appeared a few times in his light blue suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He used to wear that sort of safari suit, light <laughs> yes. blue safari suit that he wore. Yeah. Well, probably with a cap, you know, with a sort of blue denim mm. Lenin cap kind of mm. thing that he wore all the time. Anyway, he either brought it on. I think he actually brought it on. It was like a pine, roughly made pine coffin. And he carried it on and then got in it. <laughs> he stood it up, upright, and then got in it. And it had a little flap for him to talk through. And I think the joke was supposed to be that he was so old he was dead. But it, but Des O'Connor was so helpless with laughter in the audience was like, that that joke never got out. You know, never got across. So he started. He started going, <laughs> and finally he shouted, "For Des, there's a Rottweiler in here." <laughs> and what is happening? What do you want now? <laughs> what does he? I'm busy. <laughs> it's not oh, like, I, I can't come out. I'm getting too much exposure on television. <laughs> And Mrs. Reagan's astrologer said, this is a bad day for me. <laughs> I mustn't, mustn't be seen too much on television. I've destroyed the Terry Wogan show. <laughs> oh, what are you doing in there? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> there's a rock biler in here. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Here, put that leg down. I honestly don't remember the interview after this. And, and, but you know, like, you go, you, what you go, he was so wacky. But it was it wasn't that uh, Freddie Star look at how wacky at. What I always reacted to was the fact is this is what he's like. Yeah. You know, this is not I've sat down and I've worked out it'd be funny if I if I sat with Shirley Bassey and fell off my chair. Something told him this would be funny, so he just did it. <laughs> but then but then yeah, but as you get into the 90s, further into the 90s and get spikes gradually. His declining years, declining, yes, declining years. years, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and he, he he turns on if he turns up on chat shows like Jonathan Ross springs to mind, yeah, it can be it can be quite uncomfortable because he he he, he often will just be um on one about modern comedy, modern comedians. Yeah, um, he could be quite it could be quite unfair and denigrating, but and, and sometimes and and as you say. He it depended what kind of it clearly depended what kind of frame of mind he was in, mm. or or what he thought of the forum he was going into, and possibly resentful of the fact that he maybe had to do it because he needed a few quid. There used to be a thing on BBC One, I think it was, it may only been on once a week. Now this would be a ninety two, right? Ninety one, ninety two. It was yeah. called the People Show. And it was a sort of nascent one show where it had a host, bizarrely, Derek Jameson. Right. And then a series of filmed inserts. You know, yeah, yeah. sometimes it was about charity things. Sometimes it was about, you know, topics of interest. Yeah. And it effectively is what the one show is now, but less egregious. And uh, 
And one of I'm just sitting watching it because you know because whatever, waiting for someone else to come on. And uh, Spike Milligan appears, and he was do on. They'd let him make a film about one of his hobby horses, mm-hmm. which is pipe music. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he starts complaining about, uh, you know, how in shops and lifts and things you can't get away from it. And uh, and it was quite funny and like, but there was a really awkward moment in it where he meets this guy who he looked a bit like, well, actually looked a bit like Joe Piana Henderson. And he was a composer of Muzak. Okay. I know Muzak is our actual thing, but you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, generic yeah. music. Yeah, yeah. And he sits and he's, he's got his keyboard and just, you know, turns out this, you know, really terrible terrible pipe music it was it was awful and milligan inter- is interviewing him and he mm. says where do you get your inspiration from mm. and he says well sometimes i'll listen to some classical music or some you know pop music and it'll give me a and what he clearly means is it gives him a an idea of a tone or a theme yeah, yeah and milligan just flat out says to him oh so you just steal other people's music mm. cut <laughs> mm. <laughs> I thought, you know, and, and then it finishes and that, you know, it was quite funny at the end and all that. I just thought that was a weird thing. But it's sort of it's sort of signposted for me eventually, looking back on it. Not at the time, obviously. I didn't have any great insight at the time. I don't have any great insight now, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 uh, it made me realise, looking back on it, that this was the beginning of him appearing on things to, to a purpose. You know, uh, he was. If he's on, he's going to talk about population control, nuclear weapons, or you know what I mean. He's on to because he's got one. He's riding one of his hobby horses, and that could be really wearying. And then other times he would come on, he'd just be funny. But you know, and, and he turned up in other things. You know, in Gormenghast. Mm, true. I always thinking in Gormenghast. You know, when he's playing the ancient headmaster, I like to think he as well thought. It was exactly the same as the thing at the end of Q, but it says, here is now that everybody, with a few calming words, Valium, Librium, Mugadon, and as a funny payoff, a two and then all the dandruff. Comes yes, out. yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you would sort of try and, but that was the best you got. That was the most you got of them. He would lift many a film. I mean, okay, Life of Brian doesn't doesn't need lifting, but his little no. one minute mm. sequence in that is is hilarious. And and Yellowbeard. He's, yes, he, yes, he, Yellowbeard, lifts. which is mostly a terrible. <laughs> yeah, but he has that. I actually just it, it's actually something that pops into my head a lot. That little line where he says, uh, "You know, whatever Eric Idle's name is, Commander Vingy, uh, head of Her Majesty's intelligence, naval intelligence, not." To be read aloud. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, he also turns up at the end of the uh, the Man About the House film. Oh yes, yes. it was the film of Man About the House, which turns into this the demented run around Teddington Studios, mm. uh, and they bump into various different people, and one of them is Spike. That's right. Now, this is of note deep dive fans because the jumper he's wearing is the same jumper he's wearing in the last good show of all 
You is heard it? the ear. Yeah, that sort of mad crocheted looking. Yeah, I know the one you mean. I'm trying to picture him in Man About About the House now. <laughs> yeah. He had a cap on, didn't he, in Man About the yeah. House? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He mostly wore a cap. Yeah. But uh, I suppose that neatly segues us to the last good show of all. Yeah. Go on. What do, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I got that on video mm. for my Christmas. 1990, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of thrilled to see it. Uh, you know, because yeah, they're all there. But I I didn't enjoy it. That sounds a bit of an oxymoron, but I enjoyed I enjoyed the fact that I could see it. Yeah. But as a fact, you know, the fact of it isn't terribly good. I don't like the sort of uh, undercurrent of it's important somehow because Princess Anne is there. Yes. yes. I don't like that aspect of it. As if, you know, somehow that makes it important. And also... It's not a very good story. So, you know... Well, the thing is, it's, yeah, the the script is pretty weak. And... um, Yeah, Slapdash is being kind to it. Yeah. I mean, there's some good lines, but but it's... um, Yeah, there are are some funny bits in it. I like, you know, there are are some nice... There are some nice good old-fashioned goon concepts in it, like Neddy and the, you know, being the queen and her crinoline floral frock mm. and things like that. Mm. But it doesn't, it doesn't really amount to anything. I, I'll tell you the best appraisal of it that I ever heard. Mm. Uh, I used to watch, I mean, I did watch it quite a lot because, you know, it was another goon show, to, yes. you know, yeah. uh, when all I had were the other tapes. And bear in mind, this is still, you know, 1990 and there's nowhere else to get a lot of other stuff. Yeah, me too. I stuck it on, and my uh, grand, my great grand, it was. Uh, I used to spend a lot of time at her place, and she watched it with me, and she just sort of <laughs> sat staring at it. And she liked a good show when it was on and all that sort of thing. She, I mean, she was at the time she was nearly ninety, right? And her single comment on it was, "Go on." When Ray, Ray Ellington's piece is him singing his own version, his own sort of Ray Ellington version of uh, the Tennessee Waltz. Yes. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, my grand, my great grand turned to me and said, that's the best version of the Tennessee Waltz I've ever heard. I <laughs> was it. And I sort of... <laughs> I, 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 I started to think about it a bit more analytically. After what did you think of the Goon Show, Grant? Well, uh... she never mentioned that. She's yeah. the sort of person, you know, where you know, like she'd say things like uh, Spink Milligan. She she knew I loved him, so she'd say things like he's very clever, damn, really damn. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Not yeah. funny. <laughs> Just really clever. The thing, thing about the last Goon Show of all, as well, is that is that the cast are having well, Peter Sellers in particular is having more fun. Than the audience, I think, and and yeah. he's very much, he's very much, he's got his friends in the audience and his family in the audience. Yeah. Although he probably doesn't care so much about the family being in the audience. But yeah. He's got all his mates, his chums, and his royal friends in the audience. Well, it's not. This isn't about entertaining you, mate. You made him entertaining us, and I think the person who's really trying in that is Harry. Yes, because Harry Seacum, that's who he is. He's just like. <laughs> Hey, everybody enjoy themselves. <laughs> Harry Seacombe's charms outside of the good show kind of passed me by. Uh, I've never quite understood why he got to such a, such a prominence in England and Wales. 
you know what I mean? He'd such because he was far and away the quickest and biggest success of them all. You know, he was only a few years out of the army, and he was appearing in you know top of the bill at Piccadilly Hayride in, in the West End. However, I have never, I never ever doubted that he was a full blown, thirty stone, copper bottomed <laughs> performer. There to make you laugh. It didn't often make me laugh, but I appreciated the effort. And in the last good show of all, he's really, he's really doing it. You know, he's, he he lets everybody, he lets himself be the butt of the joke far too often. Mm. Uh, that you know, compared to the others, he lets sellers rip the piss out of him uh, in a way that I think at some points is a bit unpleasant. Uh, and Milligan just doesn't, I think, is which is. I, I, I would be amazed to hear otherwise, just doesn't want to be there. You know, in the 90s, it's, you know, when he would talk, he would be on, he'd be on uh, chat show appearances and things, and how he would visibly flinch when they would mention the goons. Mm. Because, you know, he would say, oh, yeah, that's all I've ever done. Yeah, that's what people will just say. I made the, he did the goon shows and he died. Uh, and in fact, there, there was a weird double of long interviews on telling oh let me have check the files easter 1991 right i must have been easter sunday and monday yeah maybe saturday and sunday it was on channel four and it was two one hour long interviews with jonathan ross in front of a live audience yeah. one was frankie howard and one was spike milligan yes 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 you remember Yes. And the Frankie Howard one was was fine. It was very good. Fra- well, that must Frankie have been Howard. shortly before he died, Frankie. It was just before he just just before Frankie Howard yeah. died. Yeah. And Spike Milligan did the other one, and actually he was fine in it. You know, he was quite funny, and he did you know, but they but they they showed like a clip. I think they showed a clip of the last good show of all. It might even be, but I don't can't remember exactly. But it was the point. It was the bit during it that he was reticent about, because I think he was still in that. You know, is that what all you think I've ever done? Kind of stage. I've got, two, I've got two. Well, I've got one major bugbear when it comes to goon show clips that are used to illustrate goon humor. Okay, oh. and I, I, I bang on relentlessly on this podcast about it. I, I'm sick to the back teeth of the "What time is it?" Eccles oh, um, yeah. sequence <laughs> yeah, being used. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but, but a close second would would be the um, "I haven't got a knob on my side." Yeah, I've killed yeah. that gag, haven't I? But you know the one I mean from the yeah, last you know, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, "Open the knob on your side." Yeah, 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 you know. yeah, yeah. Which, um, which anyway, is a Marx Brothers joke. Oh, was it? I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a, it's the Marx Brothers. There's a couple of variations on. You know, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Why was an elephant in your pajamas? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the knob in my side. You know, so yeah, they're they they are incredible. And actually. Perhaps that's a, uh, a production thing, which I always think better of production people, because mm. maybe there was a limited amount of time, you know, if it's some 22-year-old Ollie, you know, just one of a procession of Ollies mm. who, uh, <laughs> who just... Ollie with a Y, yeah? Ollie with a Y. Yeah, six, six haircuts in a one, he pants, you know, trousers <laughs> down to their knees, you know, rocket ship underpants, and you say to them, you know, Gets a clip of Jimmy Edwards and they're like, you come back with somebody, you know, doing bird noises. <laughs> and and uh, 
and that's part. That's partly partly reason for it. So there's a bit of laziness and a bit of an aptitude. It's all mixed together, and that's what you get. When I was listening to uh, the Tuscan salami scandal, there is such a better example of that sort of uh, watch the town kind of thing, which is the, the incredible sequence where Neddy goes to MI5 mm-hmm. to see whether to, to see whether the head of MI5. Sir Henry Crun, and you Crun and many, Crun. yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, if whether grip pipe and Moriarty are to be trusted, which it's a rhetorical question for the audience. And there's this whole sequence where they go to MI five, and the joke is they're all sleeping. Because again, getting back to how you know you need to be aware of certain things to make things as funny as they are. It's because Burgess McLean and everybody have just skipped, and which is why. <laughs> The spies that are called Burgess and McTeeth. <laughs> well, <laughs> Burgess and McLean had, had, had skipped town in, in yeah. May, May 51. In fact, the, the, the same oh, month right. the Goon Show began. Crazy people oh, right. began. Oh, right. Interesting. They managed to, to defect <sighs> yeah. because the police detail that had been trailing uh, Burgess That's right, dr- yeah. during the week uh, yeah. didn't, didn't work weekends <laughs> because they knocked off. Burgess managed Sorry, to uh, to get away. I was hoping you were going to say it's because they managed to skip off because they were listening to the goon, the goon show. But, uh, <laughs> but no, but in 56, in 56, yeah, when or 56, 57, when was it? No, 56, when yeah. the Tuscan Salami scandal was, was broadcast. It was around that time that Burgess first appeared in public in Moscow. Ah, um, right, okay. After well, like there you go. That's four or five point. years. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But you know what I mean? It's just like, so you have to know, you know, and it's like AMI 5 foot sleeping, Burgess and McTeeth. And, the, and actually a reference, a, a name of a character and a descriptive of them that makes them laugh so hard <laughs> that they have to stop and actually still makes me howl with laughter, which is Professor Pavlov, <laughs> the off-white Russian scientist. <laughs> Which is such an amazing descriptor. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then it did, you know, Henry Crun's like, uh, many, who's that? There's somebody at the door, but who's at the door? Well, go and answer the door. Well, and then it becomes throw them the key. What idea? I've got a great idea. What idea? Who's idea? And there's a bit where where many just goes, oh, it's, a, it's one of the, I think it's the only time where they get angry with each other. Where Minnie says, You stupid old fool, what are you talking about? And then she goes, ah, and comes back and goes, Runs around oh, the room. one yeah. round the room does <laughs> And it's it's such a it's such a minimal script, or or should say minimal amount of action for such a long period with a completely consistent level of hilarity. Uh, from the audience, both live and at home, I would hope. Oh, well, the thing is, about it's that... right up there with the famous Jack Benny mm. silence. You know the the famous Jack Benny, mm, yeah, yeah, radio silence where he gets a, I think it was a nine minute laugh <laughs> from saying nothing because somebody says, "Are you really that cheap?" <laughs> Endless silence. No, no, sorry, I beg your pardon. He says, your money or your life. 
<laughs> I think I'm right. Said it's a nine-minute silence. Gee whiz. And eventually says, "What are you doing?" He says, oh, I'm, "I'm still thinking." <laughs> but the thing is, with those two characters, Minnie and Henry, they were the only two yeah. characters that because because you got the pairs of characters, and you got mm. Blue Bottle and Eccles, you got Grip Pipe and Moriarty, you've got Minnie and Henry, and Minnie yeah. and Henry are, are the only characters that can can just Sellers and Milligan can just ad lib noises yeah. for yeah. as long as they want, whereas they can't with the others. No, that's true, but also it doesn't require any effect. No, uh, you know there are some there are some Cronin Bannister bits where the you know it's like bits of wood being sawn and things like that, but they tend to be much shorter scripted things. But yeah, they can just riff away for as long as they like because mm. it's just two of them, mm. uh, and it must have been a nightmare for the editors trying to get the thing to time uh, when they were just going on and on and on and on. <laughs> but uh, it's also interesting, I think that. They're not, they're not, unlike things like Itmar, which of course Milligan always famously hated because yeah. uh, they said it was just corny, corny bastards as they kept calling them in the memoirs, uh, where every character had to appear every episode. You know, yes. Fump the Spy, you know, they always had to be there every episode. And then the Goon Show, that doesn't happen. You know, they, 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 they do that thing where they keep them in a way. Milligan keeps them so that it makes to him it clearly made sense to introduce them at a certain point, and sometimes it there was that point didn't come for those characters, so you didn't get every character every episode. I think probably the ones you got every episode were the stock ones, you know, Eccles, obviously Neddy, well, usually Blue Bottle, but not always Blue no, Bottle. There's 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 a there's a number of shows where many sometimes Cronin will be in them and many won't be. Yeah, no, absolutely, um, yeah. And there's there's a few where Moriarty or Grit Point won't be in it. Um, yes, yeah, quite, yeah. When they do arrive, it's really nice that they're there. You know, it's like, oh, great. Crown mm. and Bannister this week, you know. And which is another reason why the last good show of all doesn't work as a good show, because everybody's there. Mm. And, and they shoehorn in uh, Little Jim, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for yeah, no yeah. reason at all. Yeah. And it's just like, and everybody cheers and all that. You think, well, that's not what this is meant to. It's not just ticking off the characters if it's a proper goon show. No. But of course, it's not a proper goon show. It's just a, you know, an anniversary performance, I suppose, with a with a superlative Ray Ellington song in it. But uh, well, it's it's in quotes, air quotes. It's the, the greatest hit, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. But you know, there are, there would have been better ways to do that. You know, if Milligan was really interested, you know, there could have been a really fun sort of deconstructed, you know, all the characters have come to a gala performance or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and and it's not like the, he wasn't into deconstructing things, you know, no. like, you know, you spoke before, you know, like with previous, your previous friends about 1985, for example, mm. or my favourite one, which is the most, you know, like the earliest example of a totally meta a production where you're like, did Spike Jones direct us uh, of the Wallace Greenslade story? Oh, yeah, yeah, which I abs are so great, you know, that is winds light to variable, hooray! <laughs> <laughs> and then when he says, I always got one of my other favorite characters, which is Lou, 
Alu is great at that. Yeah. I've got I've got this boy for you. I've got a lovely boy. He's, he's so keen. He's dead keen. <laughs> Which of course is meant to be Lou Grade. Or Le- I think it's actually meant to be Leslie Grade. Oh my lovely little Wallace. Ooh, you're gonna kill him tonight. You're a lovely boy. Ooh, you're lovely, making a lot of lovely money for me. Make a fortune. Ooh, that lovely talking voice. I'll get you Ed Sullivan TV next, I promise you. <laughs> I'm as mad as you understand. Out I mean, the I'm... way, him. You're finished. All that shaving and singing. It's all what, finished. What, 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 what? On with the um, mozzas. It's all washed up. <laughs> now then, here. Wallace. Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. Val Parnell's out front tonight, so do your best. I'll see you get a nice big bonus. Goodbye, my lovely boy. The guilt he's making for me. <laughs> but, but in other episodes like the other one I listened to before this, which is the histories of Planet of the Elder. For me, and this is completely subjective, hmm. it has for me the funniest line in any good show. Okay. And actually, I think one of the funniest lines ever written. Now, I'm not going to do it any justice because you need the build-up to it and you need sellers to deliver it. But it's at the end where they're, uh, they're in prison. <laughs> and uh, they're just about to team up with some practice of protocol. And, you know, they've been to the Coliseum, they've done all this stuff, and they land up in jail. Mm. And suddenly you hear, and he says, Britannicus, Bloodnocus, what are you doing here? And previously, you know, he's been swanking about with Julius mm. Caesar and all that. Mm. Mm. And he says, oh, so the, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. He says, How can I put it? You know that saying, Caesar's wife is above suspicion. Yes. Well, I put an end to all that rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what's brilliant about that? Like, first of all, it's really, it's really clever. Second of all, it's had a real big build-up right the way through. The idea that the, the Goon Show scripts are completely random, mm. you know, they they have really early set up and payoffs a lot of the time. Uh, so they're not completely random. They have a, they have their own rhythm. It's also Ned's timing. Yes. So that when he says. Why are you here? And he says, you know that, and it's just the way that Seekham immediately goes, yes. Mm. You know, it, it, mm. it, it, the rhythm of it is just perfect. Because Blood Knockers has already, before, had a great line, which is almost as good. Away at the start, where, where uh, Milligan has a sort of unnamed, I think he does get a name at one point, uh, Julius Caesar sidekick. And he says, uh, Caesar is what Caesar is all things to all men. He says, Oh, it must be hell in there. That's Moriarty. That's Moriarty. Is it more is it sort of Moriartis or something? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moriartis big swordist or something. <laughs> and uh, you know, but, but and Bloodnock is a is a really sophisticated character. You know, uh, I don't mean He's sophisticated in himself by any means, but the writing of him and the the framing of the character and where he's dropped in, uh, and you know, it, it's so it's so great that if the fort is being besieged by Ray Ellington, he's disappearing out the back gate with all the silver, all know. the plate, military, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, and the last good show of all, and what's terrible is the last good show of all doesn't reflect any of that. 
uh, and Roger Lewis in his, I think, the Bible of Peter Sellers, you know, mm. The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, mm. which is a really a phenomenal book. It's like Truman Capote decided to write In Cold Blood about Peter Sellers. I love In Cold Blood, but I wouldn't compare Roger Lewis, Peter <laughs> Sellers' book to that. Oh, I would. Right. Oh, I would. I, I, I think it's an extraordinarily good book. But it, it, it's a. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. But the, the, the point is, uh, he does that thing where he dissects the way that Sellers lays, pulls his children up onto the stage. Oh, yeah. Mm. Because, because initially, it's uh, Milligan's kids that run up, you know, and he cuddles them and all that. And he's, as, 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 as Lewis says, you can see that it's a sort of spontaneous. You know, oh look, dad's on the stage, oh got up here, oh look, I'm cuddled, whatever. Mm. And then Sellers kind of drags Michael and Victoria up onto the stage and sort of presents them, you know, and it that becomes quite uncomfortable to watch. Uh, yeah, but I mean, um, Michael's dressed like he's just just left the circus. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he's got that extraordinary uh, uh what is it they call it, Canadian tuxedo. Yes. You know, the double denim. Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> with the big flares and his massive doggy brown hair. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, just I don't know. Well, blood, not, just... blood Knock by the end, and then the last game show at all, it, all it is is yeah. um, the, the, the obsession with Blood Knock is, is his um, bowels. It's his bowels. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, Britain was obsessed with its bowels up until mm-hmm. the mid 80s. And omission <laughs> in modern Britain, very much to its detriment. <laughs> Trust in God and keep your bowels open. That's write, the way to be. You should write a, an improving monograph <laughs> on the subject. <laughs> but yeah, and, and so and and Seacom's just and during all this time, Seacom's just a way making his before he becomes, you know, Sir Harry of Highway. But he's a way making his sort of uh, variety specials and doing summer season and doing all the things that make him what everybody thought yeah. he was amazing at, I suppose. And then, but Milligan is having a harder time of it. But somebody made a really good point. It might have been Norma Farns, actually. Uh, which is that uh, Milligan seemed to expect that whatever he wanted to do, the BBC would just bankroll. Yes. As yeah. if he had a sort of divine right to it. And if it actually wasn't that good. And somebody said, no, it's not for us, Spike. He took it as a personal affront mm. uh, and then uh, you know i think it just became more increasingly increasingly better but he just as 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 the 70s wore on and as q6 down, became yeah. q8 and whatever mm. it 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 just tended to become um spike dressed as hitler um, yeah. with women with big boobs running about that's, <laughs> that's all it was really Which gets you an audience but yeah. it, it sort of introduces an, an aspect I was going to touch on earlier before I rambled on, uh, which is Milligan's rather disturbing <laughs> attitude to race. Mm. But I, I think there's a really, I, I know, as anybody who knows me and the shambles that is my life will explain to, I am no psychologist. <laughs> but it's a lot of it's quite apparent. And I think actually there was a point in a, a programme or a film and it was Joe McGrath. Oh, yeah. 
had said to Milligan he was going to he wanted to do something in blackface. And Joe McGrath had said to him, No, it's absolutely no way. But you know, I, you know, I wish I could remember what it was because it was an extraordinarily bad taste. Yeah. And Joe McGrath said, No, we're not doing that. But you can't do that. But you can see in other times, you know, where it just seemed to be completely random that people would crop up in in queue, especially in uh, in like blackface or whatever dresses Africans or whatever that sort of thing. Yeah, but but and, but most, I mean, the goodies did it even. Oh no, sure. I, I'm not saying that. I mean, the, the blind white maestros were on. The yeah. only reason I mention it is because my my theory, such as it is, is that Milligan's father, Leo Milligan, yeah, yeah. trumpet sergeant major Leo H. Milligan. Milligan does say at one point during his Spotlight episode, if you've ever seen the Spotlight programme, and it was a sort of a reminiscence, tape reminiscence in front of an audience. The one that's probably most accessible is Eric Sykes's one because it's on the DVD extras of the Sykes right. okay. box set. Right. Although the Sykes box set, DVD box set, is, is like about 200 quid now. Uh, but he did one, uh, Jimmy Edwards did one, mm. Leslie Crowther did one, you know, and Milligan did one. Actually, mm. Leslie Crowther one's really good. <laughs> I, I never wanted to watch it because I thought, yeah, I'm not that bothered about Leslie Crowther. Yeah, well, I, I, no, I'd like to know about what he made of his son-in-law. Who's his son-in-law? I might be complete, I might be thinking of someone else here, but I'm sure that Leslie Crowther's son-in-law was Phil Linnett from Thin Lizzy. Oh, yes, no, that's right. Of course, God, of course, mm. yeah. Oh, I'm sure they had lovely Christmases. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's just Leslie Crowder's somebody that I was never that bothered with. You know, Stars of the Rise is fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Price is Right, seminal. I loved Leslie Crowder on The Price is Les- Right. Sorry, Leslie Crowder, yeah. by the way, was in Goon Reel. Really? Was, but it was like, that was well, the first and only TV appearance of all four goons. I think I'm right wow. in saying. Yeah, Goon Reel, 1952. Michael Benting, Peter Sutton, Spike Milligan, Harry Seacombe, Graham Stark. Of course, Graham Stark. Of course, Graham Stark, yeah. Sam Kidd. So, Eunice, oh, yeah, Sam Kidd makes sense as well, yeah. Eunice Gason. There we go, Leslie Crowther. Wow. Mm. All of these things, it's like the Matrix, this. Mm. <laughs> everything adds up. Suddenly everything adds up. Anyway. I only mention it because I, 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 then I watched the Leslie Crowther one. It's great. He's really funny. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Milligan does a spotlight thing. So he's there and he's got a couple of his cronies, Alan Clare on the piano. Oh, yeah. I loved Alan Clare whenever he was on things. Hello, I'm Alan Clare. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know her, but the time can't be far off. Uh, and he started talking about his life. And what they do is, it's like a run hour nearly. And they have big pictures up and it's like, oh, this is me. This is when I was a kid. That's about, that's where we lived in India. Blah, 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 blah. That's the war. But there's a point where he, he, he says, you know, uh, refers to a lot of, uh, you know, Sikhs and whatever black African soldiers and all that. And he says how his father would refer to them as a bunch of yeah, the blanks. Yeah, and he has this throwaway remark, and he says he was a real racist, my dad. And it's always I just I've, it's sort of rang a thing at the back of my mind where I thought, 
I'm sure his father, who everybody says was crazy, like nuts, mm. but like very funny and, you know, in various different ways. But, you know, he had a comp, Milligan has talked about a lot, of a very complicated relationship with his parents. Mm-hmm. But it always made me wonder if the sort of, you know, with people blacking up and all these sort of really weird things, was him working through the way attitude towards race was impressed upon him by his father and also his early childhood. And then, so it comes out in all of these very strange eruptions because he clearly used his comedy. I think it's very clear anyway, uh, in his attitudes towards women, towards authority, you know, towards race. You know, and I think that his various different early relationships must have informed the way he did it. And I just wonder if, because you you see the way he does various different things. And as you say, it's not like other people weren't doing it. Is this why this crops up so much? Hmm. In ways that don't make sense to anybody else. And the way he writes comedy in a way that doesn't make sense to anybody else, which is what makes it funny for the rest of us. But sometimes it's not funny for the rest of us because, you know, sometimes his obsessions take over. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's some, somebody somewhere, hopefully within the sound of our, our voice, our collective voice here, could, there's a PhD to be written on this, somebody, <laughs> who's cleverer and has more time and the inclination than I have. Mm, yeah. But uh, there's, there's all sorts of... It's like in The Great McGonagall, for example, which I think is... I love The Great McGonagall. Mm. Not very many people do. No, I'm, 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 what's the word? Agnostic? Is that right? I, <laughs> I, uh, I really, really love it. Okay. Uh, because I think it's, first of all, I think it was an extraordinary thing to get made in the first place. Uh, and it's, I think what's also extraordinary is that it, it's, it's like, it's like a physical manifestation of the relationship between Sellers and Milligan. <laughs> you know, Sellers is the one that can that gets that can get the money to make it mm. because he's a star, and he can get people to he can get Leslie to come up with a few quid to make it. <laughs> uh, Milligan is therefore so, but but Milligan is the one who's driving it. You know, uh, but at the same time they get Joe McGrath, who's the one who has to make it in an abandoned music hall. Uh, I think it's Wilton's. Wilton's, yeah. The remains of Wilton's music hall. Mm. The handsomest hall in town. Yes. Did uh, you see? Did you see that special? That TV special? Yeah, yeah. Mm. With uh, with yeah, with Sellers played doing a um, Sam, that song with Sam Hall. Sam Hall, yeah. The singer of whom, by the way, was uh, a Glaswegian. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's weird, doesn't it? Because he, he played a Cockney, but he was actually he was actually Scottish. Anyway, uh, back at the Great McGonagall some great people so uh julian chagrin i'm sure it's not chagrin but i always pronounce it chagrin chagrin uh who many people remember from like uh kids programs actually but yeah. you know yeah and the, and the woman in it who's great the blonde lassie julia doesn't matter. I want to see Julia Child, but that would that would have been amazing. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Welcome to the French chef. Oh, your majesty. Right, so 
and Victor Spinetti yeah. and, and John Bluthel, obviously. Bluthel, the great Bluthel. Bluthel it's, by the way, sorry, there's so many, so many tangents in this. Mm. Imagine trying to do this as a mind map, as a word map. A oh, by, map. by the way, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, sorry. I, I, have to, I have to edit this down as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't edit it, by the way. Just put it all out in the window. Was, is John Bluthel Australian? No. He's a... God, he does... He did a lot of work. I think he lived and did a lot of work in Australia. Right, because his Australian accent is too good. Yeah, he's of he's. I think he's of Eastern European origin originally. originally. I suppose, yeah, I would believe that. Yeah, um, great actor, John Bluth. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, anyway, so they're all in it, obviously. But but pertinent to this part, of, <laughs> this part of the uncomfortable discussion is a. Uh, Valentin Dial. Yes. And uh, of course it won, but but he even dis- he they even deconstruct blackface in it. Because of course he's he plays the as a sort of African messenger. But you hmm. s- but he's actually standing talking while somebody's blacking him up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, what's this supposed to mean? You know. And then but he just talks like Valentin Dial. <laughs> Yeah. Which actually produces one of my, well, I think one of one of the probably the best joke in it. He has to take a message from uh, Africa because uh, you know the, the premise is that this uh, reverend who's a missionary in Africa has got McGonagall's book mm. and loves it so much and writes to him and tells mm. him, mm. but uh, and and so then Valentin Dial is dressed as like a comedy African blackface spear whatever then runs sort of across the stage and back to to signify that he's he's running to Dundee. Yeah. And he runs past a tent at one point and it's Churchill <laughs> in the tent, <laughs> right, you know, writing a, a piece for the Morning Herald, mm. bugger off. And finally he arrives at Dundee and, and the door opens. <laughs> the McGonagall Milligan. Opens the door and he says, and Valentin Dial, and this is why it's weird, is that he does it in the full van to run, got a telegram for you, a message for you, and hands it to him. So he takes it and he doesn't, but he doesn't give him a tip. He's obviously waiting for a tip. Mm. And he says, Africa's a bloody long way, you know, when he says, I know that, and just shuts the door. <laughs> <laughs> so what I mean is, you know, in terms of the race thing, it's like, okay, on the face of it, somebody's been blacktopped, they're playing an African, you know, blah, blah. but it's it's more complicated than that because it's an, a white, very obviously white actor being blacked up on the stage to, to deliver it. And then in the next scene, he's back to being Valentin Dial, and it's clearly him. Mm, yeah. So it, it's, it plays with so, so much, so much of what you expect. So it's actually far more like a goon show. There are hardly, this is going to mean, I say exclusive, this is going to mean next to nothing to hardly anybody. Jesus. <laughs> uh, but anybody who might be interested, who's watched, who, and somebody must like the great McGonagall for tuning into this. Mm. I had always been vexed by, well, a lot of things vexing the great McGonagall, but there's, there's a bit where McGonagall is being made fun of by Victor Spinetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is who's who's uh, one of these posh Edinburgh types or Dundee types, posh Dundee types, makes him an oxymoron. 
who's uh, who's uh, they're pretending that the Queen loves McGonagall, and it's a piss take. Yeah. <clears throat> and and Victor Spinetti standing there with a comedy beard on, and he says, uh, "I come from Her Majesty. She wants you to go to Balmoral at once." And he goes, "Oh, <laughs> oh, when have I got to go?" And he. It builds up to, you know, John Bluthel's there and very, everybody, well, put it this way, the entire cast are there. Yeah. All in Highland, sort of Highland, posh Highland dress. The POV is looking at them, one shot, wide shot. And he says, uh, when, when shall I go? And then there's a bit of confusion. He says, shall we say? And then Milligan says, sorry, but, uh, and this is the way he says it. He says, what, uh, uh, what's, the line? what's the line? I don't understand what the line is. And Joe McGrath kind of steps slightly into frame hmm. and says, well, the script, the script says you do this. And he says, yeah, but, I, but what am I supposed to say? And Victor Spinetti says, well, I'm supposed to say this. And then John Bluthel behind him says something. And Milligan sort of waves up and says, look, you're not helping, John. And it goes on like this. Now, this has vexed me for years. Was that scripted? And played, or was it extempore? It just happened. Mm. Uh, nobody seemed to know. There was there was a big there was a big article once in a newsletter, like going into all the reasons why it might be and it might not be, like, like a four thousand word piece. <laughs> and I know honestly, and it was really interesting. And I had the occasion a few years ago to talk to Joe McGrath. Okay, and it was to do with the work thing. So you know, we were talking about other things, and it never came up. But then he phoned me. So I've got his number on my phone. He phoned me and said, uh, oh, listen, uh, that thing we did, when is it happening, whatever? And I said, oh, it's tomorrow, blah, 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 blah. I said, look, do you mind while we're on the phone? <laughs> it's quite late on a Saturday night. Yeah. Do you remember in the Great McGonagall? And he went, oh, Jesus, oh, you <laughs> And I, and I'd straight, I'd explained it to him better than I've just explained it to you. Yeah. Because he's Joe McGrath. yeah. And, uh, and he, he said the weirdest thing, I, which I think is the weirdest thing. He said, I'm really glad you asked me that. I'm like, really? <laughs> You're glad I asked you it? Have you been waiting 30 years for somebody to ask you? It's like it's been on the tip of his tongue for 40 years. And he's just like, oh, finally. He said, no, it was scripted. It was all scripted. We, we, we plotted it out and we rehearsed it. And we shot it, and that's it was all part of the film. And I didn't do my next questions, which why'd you do that? Mm. And I just went, Oh, that's great to know. And he went, Yeah, that's that's really I think it's just really nice of you to ask. I'm really glad you asked me that. I went, All right, okay. I thought I really don't know how to feel about that. Should we say? Should we say it again? That was it. Yeah, yeah, you just say... Oh, all right, all right. Okay. Uh, hold on, let's get this right. Last time we did it. Uh, keep Next Thursday at 4 p.m. Market, right. Okay. Oh, sorry, but moral. 
Uh, whatever the line right. is. Right. Okay, mark it. Okay. Right, three, take three. Stand back. Right back. Shall we say, Balmoral Castle, next Thursday at 4 p.m. Sorry. Mark it again. Just, just take it. Am I, wait a minute. Victor. Am I supposed to repeat what he says? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just no, he stopped because he laughed that time. Yeah, yeah. but that's okay. It's not. No, it's it's right. Right. Okay. Don't, 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 you're just confusing the issue, John. Sorry, love. Sorry. I repeat what he says yeah. after he says Balmoral. Right. 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 Okay. Right. 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 Okay. Shall right. we say... Right. Wait a minute. You didn't say action. I did. There's only one. I'm trying to say it. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Sorry, John. Action. Shall we say Balmoral Castle? Next Thursday at 4 p.m. <laughs> Balmoral Castle, next Thursday at 4 p.m. Okay, lunch. There's one last thing I'd like to get in, if you can edit this in somehow, because I meant to do it earlier, and I really want to say that. Uh, in the early 90s, and again, I think about 91, which is, there was a lot of nostalgia stuff appeared around the early 90s. And Danny Baker did a series of short things uh, called, uh, I think they were actually called TV Heroes. Yes, they were. Yes, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you remember? And one yeah. of them was about Spike Milligan. Yeah. And I watched, I think they were for like 15 minutes and they were great. Because at the time there was no access to, you know, old footage or anything. You saw these mm. old clips, you thought, this is amazing. I want to do that. I think it must have been... Uh, a late show review or late review about it, you know, the as, <laughs> as Eddie says in bottom, that bird with the red glasses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> was was Tom Poland in it? Right. Well, I'm getting to that. Uh, no, it was. Okay. It wasn't Tom Poland that was the that was my problem because uh -huh. I actually quite like Tom Poland. Hmm. It was Tony Parsons. Oh, no, I Parsons. I, I, my hatred for Tony Parsons burns like the Sahara heat. Mm. Uh, I'm with you, brother. Everything, everything, <laughs> all good hearted people. And he, it, they were talking about, and I think that was, I think it was the, 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 the Danny Baker thing that prompted them to talk about the Goon Show. It might not have been, it might just be one of those things, you know, like a memory mashup. But anyway, and Tony Parsons said that he hated the Goon Show. And was asked why. And he and he did that sort of, well, it was it's just sort of, you know, public schoolboy upper crust, What's you that? know, in joke rubbish. That and for and I just I thought, well, I didn't like you before, mate. I really don't like you now. Because it is the antithesis of that. No, it's not true to say none of the goons were public school because Michael Benteen's family were as rich as priests. True. I think he went to Eton. He went to Eton, yeah. And I'm sure you can imagine the jokes in the Grafton Arms about Eton, or, you know, went to Eton, old sausage, why you eat old sausage? <laughs> uh, uh, but, and, 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 but Benteen is, is a much more complicated character than just somebody who went to public school. The only man ever to be called a fraud by the Psychic Times. Oh, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, but Milligan Sellers seek him you could, you literally couldn't get any more working class than the three of them. And an audience of like, what was it, 12 million? Mm. Or whatever. Yeah. There would have to be like every posh person that had ever lived in history to make up that audience. It was a working class, a working class cast making working class humour 
for a working class audience. And and that sort of uh, no, I'm not saying it's working class. You know, I'm not I'm not labeling it as that. You know, as if it's somehow working class humor is talking about pit heads and bonies and you know jam butties and things. I just mean you know the 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 reference points were about you know you can't get the wood and yeah, rash, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the ordinary things and dripping. It, it and, wasn't it wasn't and, beyond the fringe. No, it? no, no, no. <laughs> So it's it's 2022, Christ, is it really? Mm. And uh, and I'm sure Parsons made that comment in 1991 or two. Mm. It's taken 30 years, <laughs> but I've got it out there. <laughs> he was a hip young gunslinger back in his yeah. Back in his just, I know it's a pity you never met Jack Palance or somebody. <laughs> anyway, now that I've got that off my chest. <laughs> 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 no, I think, I mean, I, I, really, I, I genuinely appreciate the, the opportunity because I don't get the opportunity to talk. Whenever I talk like this to other people, I know they all go, oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's talking about Nervo and Knox again, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows who Charlie Norton is. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, I'm trying to watch Breaking Bad. <laughs> Thanks again to Chris. I will be back next time with, I think it's going to be a Sellers film. Um, but you'll just have to wait and see. So until then, take care of yourselves. See you soon. Bye. <laughs>